So I guess we can do a little bit of a pre-show. Uh, so we missed an episode. It's funny because we, we double recorded assuming this would happen and then we missed an episode anyways. Yeah. Uh, but I was busy uh, telling my wife to make a clone of us um, and she did Which all she the work. Did. Yep. Um, I just, I just lost sleep over it. Um, and we have a beautiful baby girl, uh, named yeah. Nice after the wonderful coastal city of France in France. Uh, so that's why we miss an episode. Uh, but I am back. However, if you hear like the, the itty bittiest of, uh, wailing in the background, that is, that is the reason. Yeah. Uh, but do not be concerned. You, you now live my life of just having an ever present wailing in the background. <laughs> yeah i bet uh but it's it's been wonderful so far uh she is very cute um even though babies are not cute like the the wiring switched in my brain i guess uh and i now yeah. find her cute uh so that's that's a benefit for the parents that's good <laughs> uh it helps keep the baby around um and yeah uh, i plan on keeping her <laughs> awesome that's great <laughs> of my yeah, available no options policy. no return yeah. policy <laughs> i mean i guess in theory there is you could take it to like a fire station or whatever but yeah i'm not sure you can do that anymore <laughs> i just read some policy i, I swear i just read something that you can still do that oh I don't know. i'm getting I could things be wrong. mixed up sorry i'm severely deprived of sleep the thing with the fire station oh. is you can't at the hospital ask them how to like buckle a kid into a car seat but you used to be able to go to the fire station and have them help you buckle a kid into a car seat for your first time because you don't know what you're doing, right? Uh, Um, But now it turns out the fire stations turn you back because there's so many car seats and they're just like, here's a YouTube video. Like, use this. (laughs) (laughs) QR code. There you go. Yeah. Uh, So that's the the modern solution to to that problem. Um, I don't know. What did I do? Okay, um, all is well. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's that's all I have to report there. Um, shall Very we exciting. get this show started? Let's do it. Hold on, I need to figure out how a mouse works. For all whatever right, reason, no, I can't. <laughs> I swear, I'm trying to click in this damn document. It doesn't work. Oh, it works in the other window. Oh, wonderful. If you have multiple windows open in notes uh the external window allows you to click to place the cursor uh the other one just lets you select ah that explains so many things um so many things i'm trying to get rid of notifications don't you hate how notifications show up on like the left side it drives me nuts of what of the screen it like takes up all of your no right side oh my uh, it takes up the entire right side of your screen and it just like plasters stuff that you can't click through because it's like, here's a notification. Oh, uh, like a macOS notification? Yeah, yeah, Like your yeah. system needs an update. Here's a notification. Yeah. Uh, you have 17,000 reminders. Here's one, three notifications for those for whatever reason. Yes. Um, and then they're just like permanently there and you can swipe them away. But before you know it, they're back. And then they're like hiding stuff that you could be clicking on like... Yes. I don't know. I guess I'm old, but Macintosh hard drive is like in that corner and you can never access oh. it because of damn notifications. That's uh, true. So that is my, I am still clicking the wrong thing. Okay. 
that's uh that's like there's not a way to like change where you get the notifications anymore is there there never was it was part of uh what's it called Prowl. oh man yeah growl let you oh choose. growl sorry yes what did you say <laughs> prowl oh prowl <laughs> i swear there was one called Prowl. i don't know yeah yeah that, that that's old school though that that's where it came from right that's the whole reason mm-hmm. why they're in the top right corner is because that's what the defaults were Hello and welcome once again to episode 131 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators helping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So, uh, as mentioned in the pre-show, it's been a while and therefore there have been quite a few uh, new additions to the Swift Evolution, uh, both I guess blog, um, but the the general proposals thing, uh, and I have since learned uh, there's a part of uh, the forums that just now pins uh, these new reviews, so that way they're easy to find which ones are active and which ones are not. Uh, so that's that's really cool. Uh, but the first one is freestanding declaration macros, um, and I am going to hop right over to the example section of this because I think that kind of sells it the best. Uh, but basically, uh, this allows you to put macros basically anywhere. Um, it's not like wrapping anything. It's not like acting as a function. It's just like generate code. Um, and that's what the macro can do. Um, and namely, uh, you can go ahead and use them to replace things like warning and error. Um, so this would have been like pound sign warning, pound sign error. Um, and that would... Uh, be a way of making an artificial warning or error in your code, but a macro can do the same thing because they can go ahead and emit um, like diagnostics to your editor when the macro gets evaluated. And since the macros are type safe, uh, this gets evaluated right away as you're typing it. So uh, that's one of the things this proposal is immediately doing right off the bat is replacing those. Um, but you can also use it for uh, code generation. So if you've ever looked at the Swift standard library, uh, you would have immediately noticed the integers like int 8, mm-hmm. int 16, int 32, int 64 don't actually exist. There's a, an int file, um, and then they use a GY, a tool called GYB, uh, which will go ahead and generate variants for 8, 16, 32, and 64-bit because they're all essentially the same code-wise. Right. But the Swift language does not have the facility to actually go ahead and uh, and do that. Uh, so uh, now it kind of does, or once this proposal goes in, it will, uh, where you can go ahead and give it essentially a very big string of code. Um, and you can go ahead and specify something you want to like generate that same piece of code four times and specify four integers um, and those integers will be used as integers not just as strings as integers to uh, in a type safe way replace all instances that have been uh, that have been marked um, as such so uh, that is really really cool Um, and uh, that's not the only example they gave the last example is hey sometimes you're making a JSON model or a model based off of a JSON. And wouldn't it be really cool just to give a sample JSON and have it figure the rest out? Uh, And that's what they kind of do. 
uh, right here, they go ahead and uh, use uh, a pound JSON model uh, macro, and that macro will go ahead and just take sample JSON, and it will figure the rest out, which is amazing. Um, and that that is kind of what these freestanding uh, declaration macros can do. Um, so needless to say, this is really making them more useful uh, based on like where everything is. And I fully expect this to be like one of the key things are showing off during WWDC this year um, because it really expands what the language can do because now it's no longer limited to what the language can do, right? It's limited to whatever you want to do. Um, mm -hmm. And then macros can take you the rest of the way there. That's super cool. I, to be honest, like this, a lot of this went over my head, but as soon as I saw the JSON example, I was like, Oh, okay. That's, that's very cool. Like the GYB stuff is cool for it. Like it talks about, um, you could, I think it's still using GYB, but it says that, um, you could use the macro to make sort of this template and then it eliminates the need for a separate build phase, which uh, apparently is what it does now to generate all of those, <clears throat> those integer structs. So, uh, that's cool. But then, yeah, as soon as I got to like, oh, it could just, I could give it some, some JSON as a string and have it spit out, you know, nested data models for, with Codable, that's. Uh, super cool and I'm sure people will come up with novel and very useful other ways to use these macros so I guess in a nutshell it's really just letting you like you said use macros anywhere as opposed to it was somewhat limited before mm -hmm. um, the next proposal uh, it has a very long name allow generic types to abstract over packs um, and you might remember packs as something we mentioned in an episode like two three or four weeks ago uh where these are a new type of generic that allows you to more succinctly uh specify like the types that can go into uh into a function for instance and those types can all be different but they all conform to the same protocol but you want to know what those types are at compile time so that way you can make certain type safe decisions based off of that um, and this kind of cleans that up further um, and allows you to go ahead and uh, make other like things that are currently in the standard library that can't currently like support variadic generics uh, support variadic generics. And the example they give is like zip, for instance. Zip will take two different sequences and construct a new sequence with pairs essentially right. zipping them together. Um, and uh, this will allow you to do that with an arbitrary number of sequences of different types, uh, whereas previously you're kind of limited to two. Um, and this is very cool because it allows you to say, hey, I have four sequences. One is an int, one is uh, one is an array of ints, one is an array of strings, one is an array of uh, enums, and one is an array of dictionaries. Uh, for instance, and it will go ahead and zip all those together into tuples of int strings, enums, and dictionaries for every entry. Um, and that's something that was not possible up until now. We've only ever had uh, zips with two sequences because you can specify those directly, uh, right. but you couldn't specify n uh, sequences, and they ne they didn't bother. Unlike with tuples, uh, unlike with uh, SwiftUI views, they just kind of stopped at two. 
um whereas those they stopped at 10 uh right, or six yeah. uh now it's the, the the sky's the limit um i imagine the compiler will get mad at you if you specify too many uh but it's no longer a limitation of how much code someone wrote uh to support those things which is very very cool so yeah that was my follow-up question you it sounds like you answered it so this would allow uh it, re, if it was rewritten uh like the you allow sorry it would like allow the the swift ui dsl to allow more than uh 10 objects in a single sort of uh i guess you'd call it a group without their needing a group yeah so so this specific proposal does not touch that that was the previous mm-hmm. ones um this proposal is mostly for like well we got most of these things uh this one was left so let's let's go ahead and tackle this one gotcha. um and that's kind of what they're doing and then they do mention in future directions uh there's going to be another proposal for variadic generic enums uh and then another one for variadic generic classes uh so they're just ca- taking these one at a time uh to kind of knock them out um but once once these are all in it's essentially the sky's the limit the mm-hmm. only gripe i have is this adds a whole bunch more complicated syntax to the language which uh most people don't ever need to use uh which is fine um but uh like there's a whole bunch of new keywords like repeat each right um and you just have to know how to use them um, and the only way to really know how to use them in this case is like through experience once you do need to like make use of this kind of thing mm-hmm. once. Uh, but if you only need to ever make use of it once, you never really learn how to like make use of it more than once. So you kind of just like do it that one time, probably wrong, don't even realize it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And it's only until you do it like three or four more times that you really uh, get used to that process. Um, so that that is like the only downside to this kind of stuff being added to the swift language i've seen a whole bunch of other people complain hey uh this makes the language more complex and therefore we are ever farther from getting like stable debugging into the language uh which is fair right it's it's kind of a nightmare to do any amount of complex debugging with swift especially now that async await has been added especially now that uh, these like these generic features are probably not going to be supported out of the gate a hundred percent of the time. So uh, that's that's where this kind of stuff kind of falls flat. Um, but it does have its uh, its use, and they they do represent some dangling features that just needed to get in. Right? Um, it was just amount of time, a matter of time before they did. Yeah. Uh, the last proposal, and this one is very simple, uh, conform never to codable. Never does not conform to codable. And that means that if you have generic types and never is passed in, uh, that no longer works. Uh, this is a very simple proposal to say like, hey, let's conform never to codable. Um, and let's be explicit with regard to like what it will do in various situations. So for instance, uh, if you encode a never, uh, it's just not going to do anything. Uh, and if you decode, uh, never, then, uh, it's, it's probably not something that someone expected. So let's throw an error. Um, but yeah, um, that's, that's, that's 
what it amounts to. It's just purely a, a ease of use kind of addition, uh, which having written some generic stuff with Codable in the past, I welcome. Because I think I conformed ever to, to Codable. Um, yeah, probably. In, in the stupidest way possible. So that's cool. Um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit later about more stuff about Codable, but this is a cool sort of um, addition to that. To I've never had to use uh, uh, never with Codable, but I can see if you're if you're writing some generic code that would potentially get in the way. So, mm-hmm. um, in other news, uh, going back to our 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 saga that we we started a few weeks ago, <laughs> yeah. uh, and have been updating since. Uh, Ford is very happy that GM is being stupid, um, and they are they are embracing with open arms the fact that CarPlay is a thing, uh, and basically admitted like, hey, we we kind of lost that uh, that that war, um, and we are happy to to let people enjoy their smartphones phones in their car because that's what they care about, uh, and that is wonderful. Yeah. It was a like three minute interview with someone at, at Ford. I don't know who it was, but um, yeah, he I think was the CEO. Very... Oh, was it the CEO? Oh, okay, yeah. whatever. Um, but it was cool for him to say, like, yeah, we're we're gonna focus on safety features uh, that are sort of around and adjacent to CarPlay and Android Auto, but uh, we're gonna let you know Android or Google and, and Apple basically take care of that experience because that's what people want. So. Uh, that was cool. Uh, just, you know, as like a, I guess, gut check for like the industry to be like, yes, not everyone is going to do their own thing. And that's good. Cause, uh, like we've said, all I really care about in a new car is like, is it electric and is it going to have CarPlay? So, uh, yeah. And I think a lot of people feel the same way as well. Yeah. And I can definitely see car manufacturers very soon not bothering to build the rest of the infotainment system out, right? Yeah. Um, they can essentially assume that any anyone who's going to be driving the vehicle has a smartphone um, and therefore has everything that's necessary to go ahead and, and yeah. run basic things like radio and all that. Um, and if that's the case, like, why put any effort at all into doing it on, on in the car's system if it's never essentially going to be used? Because you are not going to have put the time into making it decent, right? Yeah. So I can definitely see that coming very soon if it didn't happen already. Yeah. I don't know if, like, maybe you do. I don't know if what the sort of terms are that, you know, it, for Apple to put CarPlay in a car, if there's some sort of cut that they get from each sale of a car that you know or whatever. But, again, like I said... I don't I, think there's the only... any. No. No, I think they basically oh. allow uh, anyone to license CarPlay. I don't know if there's like a $99 per year kind of sure. developer thing that they force the auto For manufacturers all of Ford. To, yeah, all of Ford. It's like, hey, you got to pay us the yearly developer membership. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think, they're, I think Apple's playing on the other side of the street where they want as many manufacturers to have this as yeah. possible because then that allows them to do more with it right yeah for sure well yeah okay i was gonna say even if there was some sort of like very small percentage cut like that would be the thing that gets me to buy the car so 
from the perspective if I was Ford, I'd be like, yeah, I'd, I'd take that loss of you know some percentage of the cost because that is ultimately what would get people to buy the car in the first place. So, mm-hmm. yeah, definitely. Uh, in other other news, uh, Twitter uh, is threatening to reassign handles uh, in its infinite wisdom, uh, and so this dumb. all this all started because NPR was uh, NPR decided no NPR got labeled as like a government uh, <laughs> a government account or something, even yeah. though it's like entirely public funded, like via yeah. donations. Um, even it's called National Public Radio, so I, I get the confusion. Uh, sure. But it turns out uh, they don't take any taxpayer money, uh, and they are entirely funded by donations uh, by by listeners, uh, and therefore they took offense to being labeled as a government organization <laughs> uh, and decided to say, "Sorry, Twitter, um, like this this does not represent who we are, and we're not gonna uh, stand by it." Uh, and then Elon freaking uh, Musk is uh, now threatening that uh, if NPR is not going to use their handle, then they're going to let someone else use their handle because that represents a well-functioning uh, social media network uh, to have anyone be able to claim uh, like popular handles. Yeah, like who's chomping at the bit to get at NPR or whatever it is? Like who freaking cares, dude? Someone uh, who wants to represent NPR that shouldn't be representing NPR. Yeah, okay, that's yes, that was that was my next thought. Is like, mm, okay, yeah, it's so dumb. So he says, uh, our policies to recycle handles that are effective. De- sorry, definitely dormant. Um, the same policy applies to all accounts. No special treatment for NPR, which sounds like he's just like but her at NPR or whatever for daring to not be active on the town square of the internet. Obviously. Uh, I think this is so, the abandoned town square. So little by little, yeah, um, it's so dumb though. So, uh, yeah, any account that uh, has not been on or has not been logged on for thirty days and that prolonged inactivity can result into being permanently removed. It's just like freaking why, dude? I don't know. I think it's super dumb. I haven't been active. I mean. I've logged on to Twitter a couple of times to check things and view tweets that people have sent, but I haven't tweeted anything in 30 minutes or in 30, 30 minutes, 30 days. Uh, you know, was my account going to have the same thing happen? Not that I care. It was just like, are they actually going to enforce it for someone like me or are they only going to really enforce it for NPR? You know, someone big like that. Well, neither of us are, are noteworthy, so they're going to leave our accounts just fine. Right, <laughs> but but he said the same ap- policy applies to all accounts, Dimitri. Don't oh, you believe it? Definitely, uh, even Elon Musk. That's why he's tweeting at three a.m. Right? Uh, he needs <laughs> yeah. to keep his account, otherwise he no, might remo- right. take it away from himself. Um, but th- this seems like the most tone deaf thing that uh, yeah. he can do. Mostly from the point of view that most of the influential tech sp- sphere kind of left twitter um i would say for the most part and i'm not like grouping us as part of the influential part of that yeah no um (laughs) we're not i uh but uh the the folks that actually are influential they kind of left twitter um because they were the ones who made twitter popular to begin with uh and mastodon became the new home for that kind of stuff um 
And the rest of the people, they're kind of okay with Twitter because they don't know all this drama. They don't care about all this drama. Uh, and everything is fine. However, once <laughs> he starts making a drama out of it, then people are going to start to notice. Uh, and as soon as NPR says, hey, we're going on this, this, this cool thing called, uh, Macedon or co-host or whatever, uh, the flavor of the day is, uh, right. then, a lot of listeners to NPR, which turns out a lot more than, than we have, um, are going to consider another another thing. Um, and little by little, you're eroding your platform. Maybe that's what he wants to do. I don't know. Um, I I do not run that company, but that it just seems so short-sighted, uh, to yeah. say the least. Maybe he's like, waiting to declare bankruptcy and collect... 200 bucks i don't know uh what the end goal is here um like rich people do stupid things with money all the time um and but yeah i don't get it me neither it's uh the dumpster fire just keeps rolling down a hill it's still on fire and it i think is an an infinite sisyphean hill it's just gonna keep rolling until it doesn't uh in terms of the security of all this uh, you can't really do anything about Twitter, but it turns out uh, Apple has been doing some pretty nifty things uh, with macOS and iOS updates, uh, including a very new thing that most of us have never seen, um, though if you were on the betas, you probably saw it once or twice because they're testing it. Uh, but this is, for all intents and purposes, the first time we've seen something called a rapid security response. Uh, so this was a special update. Uh, it turns out they were. It was very small, and it mm-hmm. applied instantly. Yeah. Like I hardly noticed that I had spent time uh, installing anything. I didn't know if I did install anything. It just <laughs> happened. Um, and as a result of this, the version number has a little A next to it. Yeah, kind of cool. Um, it's meant just as a sort of a. I guess what you could call a hotfix for some security issue. Um, Part of it is that it seems like Apple isn't really saying what it fixes, which kind of makes sense. If it's like a some zero day exploit or whatever, they're not gonna you know straight up just say, "Hey, draw attention to it." (laughs) Yeah, but it's cool that there is sort of this uh, method by which they can more rapidly. Uh, get updates out without you know creating this huge uh entire ios or mac os update um there's kind of some discussion and we've got a couple articles from the eclectic light co from that are talking about some people were saying hey there's poor usb3 external disk performance and you know there's these these errors and and issues with these rsrs because I assume just by nature of what they are, of trying to rapidly get them out, there's probably less testing. So that kind of made people think, you know, whatever, there's some issue. Um, The cool part about these are, at least on macOS, I don't know about iOS, but they can be very easily uninstalled or unapplied. So I guess you could very easily see, like, is this actually the issue or is, you know, something else wrong and you just haven't noticed it. There's sort of this bias of just saying like, oh, I've applied an update and something stopped working. Um, But this article is actually really cool. It goes into how uh, since Big Sur, um, they've been hashing all of the 
contents of the updates to make sure that, you know, even a, a bit isn't wrong, it makes sure that, you know, the update is what Apple wants it to be. So I don't know, from my perspective, from what I read here, uh, from, you know, 30 minutes ago or whatever, uh, it seems like it's, unless there is actually a bug in, in the update, it seems like it's pretty, um, even with these RSRs, it seems like it's what you are actually getting or the update is what Apple wants you to get. If that makes sense, there could, I suppose be a bug in that, but it's like not the update isn't going to be corrupted in any way. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, and as, as you mentioned, like you can see which ones you have installed just by going to settings mm. general about, and then tap the version and it's, it's right there. It says remove if you want to remove it. Um, so it's very easy to, to decide or to debug if like this thing that probably was rushed out, right? It's sure, not something yeah. that they spend a whole time, a lot of time validating. It was better to get it out fast than to not have it at all. Um, and as a result, uh, they're kind of training everyone to say like, Hey, these rapid security response things, like when you see them install them, don't, don't wait t- yeah. two weeks. It's not going to take more than a few, not even a minute uh, yeah, in most cases, uh, between it actually being ready to install and you having a, a a booted phone or computer like that, it's it basically downloads to your file system, and then because it uses these new things called cryptexes, um, that gets us applied to the system file system system file system uh, when when you boot up basically. Um, as if it were like a read-only uh, piece of data, and that is verified at boot time that it is exactly what it needs to be. And this means that everyone is kind of running the same version of the operating system, and not the version uh, per se, but the same exact snapshot of the operating system. Right. Um, so that severely limits how many issues people can have down to individual settings rather than an incomplete install, uh, which up until like very recently used to be the case on your computer, right? You can go ahead and uh, need to reinstall the OS because it turns out something got uh, a little a little iffy when it was doing that install that first time. Nowadays, yeah. the the OS that's just a snapshot that Apple gives you. Um, it's not something you install; it's something you run. Uh, and if that doesn't equal the exact hash and the exact signature that Apple signed. It's not going to run. Um, so that that gives a lot of peace in mind to running the OS. Of course, it's a lot less convenient to mess around with your OS and like learn about how it uh, works. But modern operating systems are kind of so complex, you're not really going to gain anything from that. Yeah. It's, it's almost more fun to run an older OS in an emulator and really... Uh, have at it to to see like what is going on and how you can break things just by moving a single file um <laughs> yeah which uh ask me how i know um so that that 32 that, yeah <laughs> drag my computer to the recycle bin um not something you can actually funny 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 note on that uh point uh lynn's laptop which is right there um it connects via Wi-Fi and it connects via Ethernet. And for whatever reason, when it connects via Ethernet, sometimes uh, there's like a network loopback thing. Uh, and it will decide to put the My Computer, uh, Lynn's MacBook Air, MacBook Pro on the desktop 
for whatever reason. Like, it thinks that it's a connected network device, I think. Oh, weird. Um, even though that checkbox is not checked in Finder Preferences. Uh, yeah. So, uh, this just shows up temporarily along with the infamous parentheses 2, uh, because Bonjour got very confused. Um, and just shows up on the desktop, and now we're like... Do I just drag this to the trash to get rid of it? <laughs> and it Make it a break it, the whole thing? It, it immediately reminded me of that uh, that uh, uh, gif of like the old person dragging my computer to a recycle bin and then it zooming out showing them and then the computer just going poof. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, That's awesome. It's, it's a good classic one. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know uh, exactly what was going on uh, there, but... Uh, yeah, this this whole system that Apple has put together is way more secure. It yeah. makes things way more uh, consistent, right? Uh, and it basically guarantees that Spencer is running the same exact ver- same exact operating system down to the bit that I'm running, uh, that you are running, um, as long as we're all in the same version. But sure. if we're on different versions, then as like we we all went the same progression. Uh, basically so that's really really cool yeah um what's also cool is the foundation package preview is now available uh so we have the ability to run this in our own apps it sounds like is that right could we just like so i'm not sure i'm not sure if uh foundation itself like this package can be included in an app I think it requires like so 5.9. Uh, So that's not something that most people have available to them. Uh, But it does give you instructions for how to get Swift 5.9 if you'd want to run it early. Um, And I imagine once Swift 5.9 becomes available, it will be something that you can go ahead and use um, uh, for your own apps, right? If If you choose to use this version of Foundation, versus the bundled one on the operating system you're running on. Uh, the major benefit is once this is part of the proper tool chain is uh, Xcode can dynamically choose, hey, you you want this version of Array. This one's better uh, than oh, okay. the, the dynamically linked one. Um, that was not the explicit goal of this, but I imagine that will be possible um, just because you will be referencing that namespace versus the the pre the pre included version of foundation um so i think that is one side effect of this but the main the the main use case was to have foundation be rewritten in swift rather than be the the c the c library that uh has shipped with mac os and ios for the, the past decade basically um with a swift overlay on top of that so uh we've got a there's there's kind of a lot to talk about but on that note so i i suppose the the goal is to actually just completely write rewrite foundation as swift is that right yeah okay so then from there i'm sure they're going to make it compatible with objective c not necessarily right objective c has a c version of foundation that can continue to use okay all right yeah that makes sense so, Just um, like Swift UI to... is not compatible with Objective-C. Yeah, okay. But yeah. it could be included in versions of, in the next version of macOS and iOS. We might see this version of Foundation to be available. So 
Okay, so with that, like you said, it's sort of we'll be able to dynamically choose. So uh, this is like it's not complete by any means. Um, so if you were to include this, it could say like like some things that do exist are data and date and JSON encoder. So it could say, oh, you've got that, and you you obviously you just say like whatever Swift Foundation or whatever the package or the module is called dot JSON encoder and use that. But then in the same app. Uh, Objective C could just be using normal foundation. Does that make sense? Yeah, I believe that's that's the case. Um, okay. Like if you link foundation, you're gonna use the built-in foundation. Sure. If you link uh, foundation uh, essentials, I think is the name of the target. Uh, or no, if you link foundation preview, you're gonna get this version, right? Okay. Um, and then if you use uh, if you use date in a file that only uh, links foundation previews. Uh, then you're you're using the new version. If you include both foundation and foundation preview, and you try to use date, it's probably going to get mad at you and say, "Hey, you need to say foundation.date or foundation preview.date." Right. So that's cool. that's the that's the the difference between those. Uh, now being rewritten in in Swift, people might wonder, like, why? Like, C is a yeah. perfectly good yeah. language. Why are we doing this in Swift? Well, it turns out Swift is a better language for a lot of modern things uh, than C, namely with its fantastical support of objects um, and uh, booleans and all sorts of other things, um, <laughs> <laughs> namely compile time optimization. Uh, yeah. And that means that, oh, basic things like JSON decoding can be five times faster, uh, which is like a major improvement. Um, yeah. Just by rewriting it in Swift, so um, I'm sure it has been optimized in that process. Like the first yep. version would maybe was not faster, but then because it's a modern language, immediate like obvious signs kind of showed themselves to the developers that that kind of put this initial package together, um, where they they was like, ah, I can improve this. They can improve this. They can improve this with yep. some some better some better data practices. Um, and that's kind of what uh, what brought the most improvements. So it uh, turns out using a modern language has lots of benefits. Um, and I think overall it's just going to be more secure, less prone to memory issues, um, and over time less zero-day attacks, right? If we yeah. can move away from Objective-C and more towards uh, Swift in general. Yeah, and not to mention it's open source. So not to say that there aren't smart people at Apple working on Foundation, but um, you've you've definitely widened the area of expertise uh, to people that don't necessarily work at Apple, but they you know can optimize the crap out of uh, you know URL or whatever. Some things that it talks about that they're going to be working on later uh, that that don't have implementations yet. So and, and do you know what my do favorite implementations? My my favorite contributions so far that I've I've peaked are people fixing the documentation. Uh, yeah, dude, that's perfect. Apple's obviously not going to do it, but if if Apple lets all of us do it, then like we'll be happy counting campers, right? Yeah, right? dude, write some Doc C or whatever. That's awesome. So that is a very welcome thing. Uh, if yeah. you want to go ahead and contribute to a project where they're like hey don't like write a lot of new code because we're we're kind of shepherding this forward um but if you spot any bugs like please let us know yada yada 
if you spot missing documentation and add missing yeah. documentation and it turns out to be correct, that will most definitely be accepted uh, because there is never enough uh, good documentation out there. Even if you're improving poorly written documentation, to be more clear, that is a direct benefit to everyone using this. Yes, um, absolutely. So, uh, that's that's an easy way if you want to find yourself into an open source project um, is to, to kind of help out with that. Yeah. On that note, I um, maybe I'll talk about it next week for a, um, a mini review corner or something. But I was working on something for my sister's wedding and uh, it involved using Python and I'm not versed in Python, but uh, the the project was open source and the instructions weren't like 100% clear on something. And so I had the forethought to go into the PRs and see if anyone had written better documentation. And it turns out they had written documentation exactly for what was missing and what I needed. So uh, that saved the day for me. And, I'm, you know, using Swift, that's going to be magnitudes more useful for a, a, a magnitudes more people. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, def- definitely documentation saves the day. Yeah, and Swift is in a very unique position where, like, it has a unique shepherd for the language, right? That is Apple. Um, And that means there aren't 17 different ways that you can write documentation in Swift. There's a single way that you can write documentation in Swift, and it shows up in Xcode. And then if you did that, it also allows you to make these beautiful doxy documentation sites based off of that documentation that you already wrote. Um, and there's only one way of writing tests, uh, and that's using Xcode, uh, XC tests, uh, and XC assert and all those, uh, wonderful functions. And there is no fragmentation really in, in this ecosystem because it has such strong leadership behind it. And that means that it's very consistent and very easy to know what the right thing to do is. And that's, I think the best part. Uh, that most open source projects can never really get um, yeah. because th- there is a a single company that's that's kind of managing all of this and making sure that things are done to a high quality standard. Um, so that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. Talking about things of high quality standards uh, and documentation, uh, State Objects got some brand new documentation. Uh, that clarify how to not use it wrong um, because it turns out uh, people have been using it wrong for a very long yeah. time, uh, namely when it comes to initializing the state object uh, from within the initializer. A lot of people miss the fact that the initializer is called every run loop cycle uh, like many, many times. Um, and you telling the state object, hey, here's some data you should use, only works the very first time. Um, and it will never really stick the next times after that because there's already a reference that the Swift UI system is using uh, and therefore it'll just kind of skip over uh, what you're doing. So Apple has updated the documentation and it is uh, much clearer now. Uh, hey, if you want this to like take effect a second time, specify an ID with a unique hash and it will take effect a second time um, because you you now have a different set of data coming in and therefore it's going to build a brand new view. There are some caveats with that, so do keep them in mind. Uh, but that is one thing you can do. Another thing that I like to do uh, is go ahead and add an on appear, on disappear, like one mm-hmm. of those blocks. 
um, and set the value in the on appear because that means that when your view comes on screen the next time around, it will go ahead and apply uh, that value that you passed into your initializer and you probably saved somewhere. Um, it will go ahead and apply that to the existing state object that's already there. Um, this is kind of why I don't like using view models in Swift uh, and Swift UI because at the end of the day, you end up needing to write a lot of this plumbing yourself. But once you know how to do it, it's not the biggest deal. Um, but if you can keep as much of the state as raw uh, value type semantic state in the view, then you don't need to do this, right? You don't have an object to begin right. with. But if you do, uh, this is something that you can like do to work around it. Uh, and I happily uh, congratulate Apple on fleshing out the documentation further. This one already had a lot of documentation and they just added another section for it that clarified things. Um, and I, I fully welcome that. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that's another case for, you know, stuff being open source, right? Because I'm sure like people have figured out SwiftUI, I think pretty well at this point. And if SwiftUI was open, or I guess its documentation was open, it'd be awesome to have people contribute and be like, hey, this is how you should use it. And people have probably figured out good ways to use it. And I mean, like you said, people have used view models and all of these different sort of architectures. So maybe it wouldn't work very well. I don't know. I'm sure you get a lot of suggestions where it would get rejected and maybe they're, I don't know. I don't know if there's a good answer to that, but uh, you know, and I've, I've said it before, but in the first sort of beginnings of Swift UI, there was no documentation. It was absolutely awful to work with because no one knew how to use it. So mm -hmm. Apple didn't know how to use it. Well, yes, that too. So, uh, so yeah, if only there was like a Swift UI preview package, right? That would yeah. be that would be really neat. Um, but I, I highly doubt that's coming because that essentially no, allows people to to do a bit more than just use Swift on cross platforms, but uh, to write these things called Windows apps. Oh, it's like I don't know if you heard of that platform. Uh, um, Windows. Windows, yeah. It's not the Windows that are on your Mac. It's it's an operating. System. It's this whole thing. Don't it's not an it. NS window. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um. Something that you should pay attention to, though, is you can now register domains and settings, which I yeah. was not expecting at all to be a thing. Uh, but it is a cool. thing. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to try it out. I didn't know that, but it'd be cool to, um, you know, get your own. Uh, is this for like emails? Yeah. Or just like, yeah, okay. So this was a feature for iCloud, right? Where you can go ahead and hook right. a custom domain. Uh, yeah. to your email and that's where i thought the feature ended but apparently you can go ahead and register that domain right in the settings app um and it, i think it does it through cloudfront um is that the one cloudflare cloudflare it was one of the clouds um it will go ahead and register through them um and like from that point forward you're their customer apple just kind of facilitated sure, yeah. the the ui for that um and i'm sure they get a little kickback uh yeah. but yeah, that seems cool. How do you even just like, I don't know. I don't understand this. How do you like, if you have a domain, which I, we both do, mm -hmm. how do you like, why can't I just like use your domain as an example? Like, is there, how does it, does it like log you in and like make sure you like, how does it verify that you own the domain, I guess? So it gives you instructions to go ahead and set up MX records that point to Apple servers. 
So only you could do that. However, if Apple is registering the domain through Cloudflare uh, for you, then Cloudflare can auto put those those MX records um, and and have that be possible. Gotcha. Okay. That's cool, though. Uh, Something else that's cool uh, is Apple uh, has finally uh, won the case against Epic Games for reals this time. Uh, using the that gamer lingo, um, and yeah, they they were in the right to re, to revoke their developer membership. I think that's that's all that it amounted to. Yeah, pretty much. Um, Tim Sweeney's comment on this, who's the CEO of Epic Games, says, "Fortunately, the court's positive decision rejecting Apple's anti-steering provisions frees iOS developers to send consumers to the web to do business with them directly there. We're working on the next step. So it sounds like Epic Games is probably not done with this whole uh, thing, but they got something out of it, um, which is, you know, they can not really skirt, but that you can actually direct people to a website to uh, if you want to use some third-party payment processor. So that's sort of, I guess, the the only thing that really came out of it in, like, Epic Games' favor. Um, although, sort of, alo- well, yeah, along with that, sorry, I'm kind of skipping ahead. If you want to go back, that's cool. Um, sideloading is rumored to be for uh, added to iOS 17 as a part of the EU's uh, DMA, Digital Market Act. Uh, that's coming into effect in 2024. So that's, I, I guess, maybe, I, I guess the thing with this is like people are, are thinking maybe this will only be available in um, in the EU. And there we've got another article about how Apple could sort of do that. Um, and so my thought is like maybe Epic Games is going to say if uh, it's only available in the EU they're going to try to make make it expanded to everywhere for like making sideloading available. That's, I guess, what I can see happening with sort of Epic Games next steps or whatever. Um, yeah, interesting, interesting stuff. And all yeah, right. yeah, I don't know. The, there's a few layers to it, right? There's the Apple being forced to no longer tell developers you can't have a link to your website to accept payment, right? Yeah. Um, that is different than what Epic Games did. Epic Games directly put payment processing directly in the app. Yes. Uh, yes. which is what got them in big trouble. Um, and many countries have essentially told Apple, you cannot tell people or tell developers they can't have a button to go to their website. Like that right. is not allowed. Uh, so I don't know what the official state of the, the review guidelines are, uh, but, uh, they have been actively changing for several app categories who can go ahead and link to a web page. Generally, this has been uh, like limited to reader apps or corporate apps um, and not things like games. Um, but it seems like, at least in the US, it's going to be for every app. Um, mm-hmm. if, if a developer wants to link to their website, Apple has to let them do it. I don't know when they're going to have to let people do it. That's something we're going to have to wait and see. Um, but that is something to consider. Then there's sideloading, right? Sideloading yes. is the ability to just put any app on your phone, which you yeah. can absolutely do today. I don't want to 
I don't want to like tell people that you cannot sideload. You totally can sideload. Uh, it's just a bit involved. Um, but it's it's something that you can do if you have an IPA, uh, which is an iPod archive uh, of an app, <laughs> um, which is essentially a zip file uh, with some metadata. Uh, but if you have one of those and you sign the app with your Apple ID, you can put it on your phone. It will expire. If you give Apple $99 a year, it will not expire for a very long time, for like yeah, many months. One year. Um, so you can totally sideload. Uh, it's just has steps involved. It's, it needs a computer. Um, the, the thinking here is that maybe in iOS 17, uh, sideloading is going to be a lot easier, meaning you can do it directly sure. from the device. Um, I don't know if that's the case. This is like heavily rumored. Um, but the, the fun thing is that people have discovered that Apple has a new process called country D, uh, yeah. the D stands for Daemon. Uh, basically a piece of software that will run uh, automatically in the background. Um, And this one will determine which country you are in uh, through mystical means. Uh, And (laughs) the thinking is that maybe this is how they determine whether you get sideloading or not, uh, depending on where you are physically located. Uh, So uh, that is something to be excited about, I guess. Uh, I don't know how else to put it. Um, but yeah, yeah. Uh, geo restriction is, you know, an interesting idea and obviously they're doing stuff like that with, uh, with like China, but I think that's really the only exception and everywhere else, uh, more or less has the same features. It notes that like, uh, Apple news and Apple pay cash are on, it seems like only in the U S maybe, uh, I don't know about Apple news, but I don't know. Anyway. It, there are some sort of like region gated region locked features but uh you know i guess this is a somewhat more dynamic way of doing it where you could just set the iphone's region dd us and you'd get access to mm-hmm. apple news and, and apple pay cash but this is a little bit more uh baked in so yeah and that, uh, that, that's something that i have done before actually i set my region didn't change language but set the region to japan um, and that allowed me to oh, yeah. get a Suica card in the Apple Wallet. Um, and if you don't know, but you have watched anime, a Suica card is the the green card that every anime person has whenever they enter a train station because it's so ubiquitous. Uh, at least in Tokyo, different regions have different uh, cards. There's a few of them, uh, but Suica one is the big one that's part of Tokyo uh, and the surrounding area. And that is essentially like Apple Pay from 20 years ago uh it's tap to pay uh the card itself holds your balance which is crazy um uh but you can go to a convenience store buy stuff you can go down the train tap your way in and tap your way out and detox uh you can recharge them almost anywhere Uh, it's basically a debit account that anyone can go ahead and get um and turns out iphones had support for this like before they had apple pay uh, like the first version of NF- NFC was for Japan for this card, oh, um, cool. and all you had to do was set your region to Japan, and you can go ahead and like load it up in the wallet um, or scan an existing card if you had one, uh, which was a fun process. You had to hold your phone to the card for a long time while it physically transferred your your balance <laughs> from the card. That's, like it's oh, not an ID. Crazy. It's not an ID with a server. No, the card has your balance. It's fantastical uh like huge 
red sirens, but the the U.S. Yeah. financial system is way worse. It's like, turns out you can empty someone's account with two numbers. One, which is publicly available. Second, yep. you just have to wait for them to give you a check once, uh, and then you have their account number. <laughs> great, great security, yep. uh, U.S. financial system. Uh, anyways, uh, long story short, like the region changing has always been easy uh this seems to be something that's a lot more automatic and something mm-hmm. you can't get around uh which stinks um especially if it's going to be used for something like side loading uh which yep. genuinely seems to be something good right it will kind of yeah. force apple to do uh to do the right thing on the app store uh because the alternative is just as possible um yeah. the downside I'm, is i think the app store might just become a little bit deserted because i don't know if you've ever tried to search it recently it's a hot steaming pile of goop yeah yeah i agree that this is a positive thing either in making the app store better or just allowing side loading whatever that's cool um there you know i mean that on that service duo you can just download an emulator from the play store and it's sweet playing like nintendo ds games on two screens it's awesome uh but there's no emulators on on uh the app store and i i understand why from a legal standpoint but they're on github right and you you can sideload them now it's just a pain so if i wanted to put a Game Boy advance emulator on it's kind of a pain it'd be nice to just you know do it from sideloading it from like the settings app or whatever just drag you know open the files app get an ipa it'd be cool um yeah i don't know uh i'm yeah there, yeah there's a lot there but i'm interested to see where this goes in come ios 17 and come uh well i guess with ios 17 if it is really actually region locked that's gonna be a big old bummer mm-hmm. so yeah michael tsai uh has an excellent like roundup article on this uh and he links to raleigh testits uh two uh which yeah. uh is titled how will apple restrict sideloading um uh, <laughs> i was only able to choose four options alas uh and uh it seems that people voted uh limited features like no icloud yeah. uh scary warning alerts uh and require enabling a developer or other mode uh are all tied sure. uh and then the, la- the the distant fourth place was require a computer, uh, which is currently the case. Like that is how it's restricted. Yes. Um, you have to have a computer and and uh, and an Apple ID. Uh, so we'll see what this amounts to. I don't. I don't think anyone really knows what they're talking about when they're like saying in no. a public forum, Apple needs side loading. Like, what are they expecting? They are expecting yeah. you go to a website and you click download. Um, but yeah. that is, as we have mentioned many times, a horrible idea. It's a good thing yes. you can't download software that way on mobile devices. That is why they are safe. Um, and, like, the that is just a ripe way to have scams. Right? Yeah, At the definitely. end of the day, that's that's the major security exploit nowadays is just scams. They're not even exploiting anything they're just tricking you into thinking something and then uh running amok with your information that you gave them because they tricked you um and the app store doesn't fix that uh it could have fixed that if apple took it seriously but they don't um and now we are in this situation so thank you apple for doing a bad job at your job yeah 
I, uh, the limited features thing is an interesting idea on what is maybe perhaps a little scary to me. That would suck a little bit. I guess it seems semi vindictive, but also I guess I could maybe see why that's happening. Side loading is available today. You just don't have uh, access to Swift because it's all exactly. Yeah, you got to write it all in C. Have fun. No, not uh, C. It's all in HTML and JavaScript. It's possible. Today. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But, like, give me the scary warning alerts. Mac OS already does that. Makes you right-click and hit open. Says, you know, whatever. Okay. Uh, And also enabling a developer mode. Yeah, okay. Do that. That's fine. I just don't want the limited features, man. Yeah, well, I definitely like things like CloudKit and stuff like that. I don't think are going to be available. Like, that that has always kind of been the case uh, on, like, Mac OS. Like, I am surprised they allow CloudKit on Mac OS non-app store apps, right? And that was mostly because a lot of apps could not work sandbox, and therefore uh, Apple kind of relented. But uh, at at first, it was not available if you decided yeah. to distribute outside the app store. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't trust. Like many people say, oh, we should be trusting the the phone's advanced security. Like I don't trust that. There's no, been yeah. So many exploits of uh, doing janky things just by running natively on device. So, well, that's why we have the new RSRs in the first place, right? Like because yeah. it's not secure. Uh, I mean, it's pretty good, but so not those will those will only end up disabling the Facebook app because they were doing something totally bad, <laughs> uh, and then and then Facebook is going to be like, "Hey, Apple's Apple's disabling our app on purpose, not because yeah. we were doing something bad, but because they hate us." Um, so. That's going to yeah, be a Facebook fun drama. Yeah, Facebook would never do that. This week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Not Pho. Tired of eating the same old meals time and time again? Consider Vietnamese food. You might already know pho, but there are tons of other flavors specific to Vietnamese cuisine that are sadly not well known around the world. This includes everything from sandwiches like banh mi, rice plates like kong tam, and even the deliciously savory crepes known as banh seo. That's where the app Not Pho comes in. It's a free-to-try app dedicated to teaching you more about the wonders behind Vietnamese cuisine, brought to life with colorful and interactive illustrations and animations. Learn how to make many classic Vietnamese flavors at home, but even if you don't cook, you'll know how to order like a pro the next time you visit your local Vietnamese restaurant. Recently new is version 1.2, which brought a brand new home screen to the app featuring a recipe of the week and a map of Vietnam allowing you to start exploring recipes by region as well. Thanks again to Not Pho for sponsoring our show. Search for Not Pho, that's N-O-T space P-H-O on the App Store today to give it a try completely for free. So Spencer, I have a code completion tip for you. Uh, and that is related to a question you asked me about. So yeah. uh, it's once again a heavily targeted uh, tip. Um, and that is all about uh, padding in Xcode. Uh, so you might have noticed when you add files to your Xcode project uh, that sometimes asks you, hey, do you want to add these as groups? Do you want to add these as like uh, individual files, a folder reference, yada, yada? There's all sorts of different things you can do. If you choose folder reference, something interesting happens. Uh, it will go ahead and use an absolute path to the file that you just dragged in. Um, instead of copy it to your repo or your project folder and use a relative path of... Uh, that file. Now, sometimes you did drag in a file that was uh, initially outside, but then it got moved to the inside, uh, and then all of a sudden things don't work anymore, and that's because the file is missing, 
or it was uh, referred to using an absolute path. Um, and that means that it's basically looking for slash Macintosh hard drive slash users slash Spencer slash developer slash project X uh, slash yeah. my super awesome file dot Swift. Uh, and if I try to run that, I don't have a slash user slash Spencer on my computer. So that's just not going to work. Um, and that's where this kind of all falls apart. If you use it incorrectly, it's meant to be used to link to say frameworks uh, that are at an exact position on the file system. Maybe a C right. library that's in slash bin uh, slash local slash bin or something. Um, but generally, uh, most of the time, you probably want to stay away from absolute paths as much as you can uh, and use relative paths. Now, thankfully, it's very easy to switch over. Um, if you select your file in Xcode and then go to the right-hand side, which is hidden by the notifications that show up on macOS. Uh, see the pre-show for more. Um, that will go ahead and give you the option to choose. Do I want an absolute path? Do I want a relative path? And if you switch them, there's a little folder icon you can click, and you can go ahead and relocate your file if it ended up in a weird place, or you cloned something and it's missing, and then you add, had to ask a colleague for the file, and kind of you need to fix it. Um, this is where you go. It's all on that right-hand side. Um, once you click on the file in the file, like inspector, I guess it would call. Um, I try to find like a reference to any of this on the internet and I had a very hard time, uh, but I did find something from 2014, uh, which brought back memories because that was Xcode five, uh, the, the, the release before Swift, (laughs) this is brief Swift, um, and it basically talks about all these things which are still relevant. Um, like there's one or two things in this in this article that no longer apply. Uh, but for the most part, uh, the rest do completely apply. Um, That's crazy. And it's it's a good reminder of things that are just like still in there that um, that that work that way. They do. Yeah. Yeah. It was an interesting problem because. Uh, coworker one was the one that made the project or the, yeah, the repo project, next project, whatever. Um, and employee two or coworker two said, Hey, it's not working for me. Can you check this out? I cloned it and it worked for me. So I think it like got, you know, like the squiggly line or the tilde for home. Fine. My, I happened to clone it to documents. So it worked fine for me. I Mm. think, uh, you know, coworker two cloned it somewhere else. And so it didn't for him. And that was, that was the issue. So it was really weird. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a good lesson into pathing for me and my coworker, I think. So, yeah. Yeah. And if you don't know, tilde is a shorthand for your current home your directory. Home. So yeah. in this case, it wouldn't have broken between Spencer and I have we put it in the same place in our home directory. But as exactly. soon as it's in a different place, uh, like maybe coworker one used developer instead of documents, right? Um, yep. and Spencer just happened to use the same one and therefore it works. And it's like, huh? Um, yeah. So that's, that's where this kind of, usually Xcode will be like, this file is missing red. Uh, that's how you know it's, yeah. it's not happy. Um, and I, the first thing I do from experience working with people that don't know how pathing works is go check that inspector. Um, so yeah, definitely, definitely recommend that one if you're working with an older project or one that has been handed off to you. Uh, that's usually the fix. So uh, today I have a relatively unique uh, mini review corner. Uh, and that is, I got 5G. All the 5Gs. 
5G. 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 Apple, 5G. Apple would be so proud of you. Verizon too. Uh, but Verizon yeah. would be actually be disappointed because this is 5G through AT&T. And this is not the bogus 5G. This is the good 5G because this is 5 gigabit internet. Which is mind yeah. freaking blowing. Uh, so, uh, long story short, uh, I have been a relatively happy subscriber of uh, Spectrum Cable uh, over the past uh, several years because they offer gigabit cable, uh, which gives you 940 megabits per second, not, not quite a thousand, uh, download. Uh, and then, like, a very sad 40 uh, megabit per second upload. Um, and that has worked. Until recently, like the past year, I would say, it has stopped working. It has become a, a thing that has continuously died on me every hour or so. It would just drop out for a few seconds and then just, like, not work. Um, and I think whenever we stream this, like inevitably during the stream i would just like get choppy and cut out um and that's because my internet just happened to die for a few seconds uh 100 back at loss and then and then came back nothing happened um so that was not ideal and that was like a very recent uh development and i knew this was happening because when i semi recently got uh like overall my my networking with ubiquity gear they they tattle (laughs) They go ahead and have a a bar chart that will tell you when the internet is down and when it comes back up. Um, And they will go ahead and, like, send you a notification when the Mm -hmm. network is, like, down for long enough. Um, And uh, this has been steadily getting progressively worse. Now, meanwhile, uh, AT&T has been... how, How should I put it? Uh, they've been tempting me for years now, and Spencer knows this, uh, <laughs> yeah. because uh, they did not have residential or business fiber. They had dedicated fiber available basically since I moved here, um, and that is very exciting. The unexciting part was the fact that it costs $1,000 a month for gigabit, um, and they do go higher. Like, you can't get 10 gigabit, but for the low, low price of $5,000 a month, which is... Yeah. Uh, the price of like my entire mortgage and then some, uh, which yeah. is not something I can I can splurge on. Uh, as much as I would like to admit it, uh, I, I that was never something that I was going to do. Though it got so tempting because spectrums <laughs> get, kept getting worse and worse and worse. Now this is made even more tempting by the fact that a year ago, AT and T went and pulled fiber literally through my backyard because that's where the utility poles are um and they they pulled that fiber through uh and i watched the people pull it uh little by little it it went through um and we ostensibly had fiber running just sitting there from one uh from from one uh avenue on one side of like where i live to another avenue on the other side ostensibly to connect the two avenues not to give us any fiber so that's that's like something that that's a suspicion i got because when i eventually called and asked and they're like oh it's not available yet and then i two months later spectrum is giving me a hard time so i call and ask again oh it's not available yet uh two months later i call again and they said oh usually for residential fiber we dig that up through the roads 
we never do it on utility poles, so that is likely not for you. Uh, it is something for like connecting to avenues to to arteries um, in in the city blocks. And that made me very sad. Um, <laughs> now, didn't prevent me from giving up. Like, I continued to check online. It's like, hey, AT&T uh, uh, location checker. Do I have fiber? Mm-hmm. No, I don't. Okay. Um, and I would do this habitually, like, once a week, every time fiber gave me a, a big deal. Now, uh, fast forward. Uh, it is about a day and a half, maybe two days after we come back from the hospital having given birth to our daughter um and uh once again (laughs) spectrum decides to really throw fit uh it did not really want to work that day uh so i'm like fine i'm gonna just check again uh it's late at night uh 2 a.m i think it was um (laughs) or it might have been early i I, like immediately spammed uh our our slack so there's evidence of exactly what time this was it was 11 p.m let's just say late um i i went and checked and i was so happy in my sleep deprived state to report to my wife at&t fiber is available not only is it available it's like for par to par like if i'm just looking at gigabit ignoring upload speed but just like the gigabit download it is way cheaper than the spectrum internet that i'm paying for um and since it's fiber it would be much more reliable uh than than good old cable internet um and not only is one gigabit available there's a nice little button to see choose higher speeds and two gigabit was available and five gigabit was available and i happen to have a network that's at least five gigabit yep like capable so i i of course go for that one um and i i tell i tell all my friends that that would appreciate this news uh <laughs> no one no one gives a shit about uh fiber internet other than us geeks uh and and yeah i i put in the order that 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 late at night uh i waffled a bit between getting like the business version or the residential version the business version is like 400 dollars a month residential is 180 so uh it's significantly cheaper but uh with business you can do things legally that are businessy um like have static ips and all that and then i did more research like right before clicking the button of course um that hey turns out at&t allows you just purchase public ips so i'm like okay i'd like (laughs) one please and they're like oh no they don't sell them one by one they sell them in blocks of eight where like five are usable three are like the multicast one's a router and one's a mystical uh ip that you can't access i think it's the actual like gateway thing uh that gets one um and that like you get five ips from that one block or you can get 16 or you can get 32 or you can get 64 yeah. or it turns out when i called the next day you can get 128 like at&t is happy to sell you these very limited ipv4s um so i i splurged and got myself a 32 block uh for all my server needs yeah um it was like a 40 dollar edition for 32 ips i'm like i'm happy to pay that i paid more for single ips through max stadium uh so that is like a very cool thing um and yeah now i just needed to wait so your whole five gigabit cost is like 220 dollars a month or something yeah 
That's with, insane, with static IPs. Oh my gosh, man. That's awesome. I mean, I'm I'm happy with the price of my gigabit. I think it's seventy dollars a month, but like that is not much more for five gigabit. That's awesome. Yeah, and that's that's the part that I was not really expecting is like five gigabit to be readily available. But like I I was I would have been happy with gigabit fiber. Um, yeah, but I am ecstatic to have five gigabit. So, uh, backing up, uh, put the order in, called the next day and was all excited on that support line to get, to get my, my static IPs. Um, I had a few other questions about like, Hey, I'd like to not have port 25 blocked because I, I want to run the, the, the basement mail server, uh, that will get me in trouble when I run for presidency. Um, like that is something I'd like to do. Um, and run for presidency? Uh, no, 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 the, the basement email server, I, which I don't yeah, even have yeah, a basement, yeah. but, um, I don't know if I can do that. It turns out like it's more complicated because spammers have ruined port 25. Um, so I might actually need a business line for that, but I have a business, like a legal business entity. And I had confirmed, uh, later that I can get a second line to this house. So, uh, that is nice. something I can do if I take it seriously. Um, but until then I don't necessarily need to, to take it seriously. Um, because yeah, I just had to wait for Tuesday and that was the last Tuesday. Um, so I wait patiently. I'm so excited the day of, um, not more excited than my daughter's birth to be clear, but it was like not far behind, uh, considering how long, how, how much longer I had waited for fiber internet in my life compared to a child um that's awesome (laughs) so uh yeah uh fiber fiber internet guy he came that day um and he was very cool about like me like watching because i had nothing better to do as uh my as lynn and little baby niece were sleeping uh and getting some some beauty rest because they were up all night uh and so was i but i was sleep deprived and i got to watch the fiber dude uh install fiber which was very cool for me to watch uh and turns out there's like eight terminals for the four houses so i'm like hypothetically i could get a second business line they're like yeah they're over provisioned uh so good to go there um watch the guy uh get this this very chunky and thick cable uh which is designed to safeguard the fiber and i don't think anyone could see uh through the camera but i will i guess link to a toot that I shared uh, that shows like some imagery of, of these fiber cables. But this is uh, basically uh, a fiber cable in the very middle with two Kevlar rods to kind of keep it stiff and, and structurally sound and safe from squirrels. Turns out squirrels love chewing this stuff because there's like a soy plasticky thing uh, uh, in it. Um, so that's what it's trying to keep it safe from. Uh, so that got to the house and then into a little terminal where they splice a different cable uh, that the install- installation person uh, very graciously went along with my plan to go through all the eaves. And then uh, like I already had something set up for the cable internet. So fiber cable, very tiny, very easy to mm-hmm. put through all that. Um, and then that went ahead and terminated on the inside of the house uh, where I connected it to my Ubiquiti gear. And the guy was like, so like how like how are you going to use your 5G because 
to most people that are getting the 5G, they just use the Wi-Fi and it's like they're missing out kind of. Yeah. Uh, he was telling me and I'm like, oh no, I have a, I have a full 25 gigabit <laughs> network on the inside. So I, I will take full advantage of this. Um, so, uh, yeah, that all got hooked up. Initially, I was scared because the little gateway thing that had the, the mandatory Wi-Fi, I spoke a little bit about this like two, three weeks ago, uh, about um, cell providers like forcing people to use uh, the oh, Wi-Fi yeah. um, that is provided. So I was like a little bit skeptical of like, can I turn Wi-Fi off on this? Turns out I could. Um, nice. And then how to set it up properly for the, the IPs and all that. Um and it turns out it was relatively easy. However, that first day, I guess it needed to like download updates or whatever, and it kept going offline. And I was like, "Oh man, my my five G is fast, but it doesn't stay online for more than ten minutes before overheating or something." Um, yeah, which was I sh- I was sure like was the problem. But after that day, everything has been rock solid, stable. Um, I was able to configure the public IPs very easily. Um, I was able to get everything hooked up. Um, and I have, I, I didn't really have anything to test it with other than like speed tests. I haven't been doing yeah. iOS development for a long time. So like didn't even, it didn't even register to try to download Xcode. But then I thought to myself like several days later, ah, I know how I can test this. I can download Xcode. Um, so I go ahead and try that and I'm like, okay, I'm going to download and grab a screenshot to show off and all that. And I missed it. Because it downloaded in <laughs> just over 12 seconds. Um, and oh. I was fubbing over screen sharing. Like, how do I get a screenshot? It's, it's happening too fast. At 400 megabytes per second. This is no, no. faster. You got huh? in your screenshot, it's 478 megabytes <laughs> per second. Sorry, that's only the difference of like gigabit, another gigabit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was not. I did not think that Apple was capable of delivering Xcode this fast. I thought it was limited to like 80 megabytes because on Spectrum, where I do have gigabit download, it was limited to 80 megabytes, not 120, right? 120 being the theoretical max. um, It was limited to 80. Um, And if you're wondering how that math works, take a gigabit, 1,000, and divide by 8, and you have the gigabytes uh, that it corresponds to, which is 120 megabytes. Um, in this case, five gigabit would be 120 times five. Uh, that would be the theoretical maximum. Uh, turns out you can't get uh, five gigabit via a single connection because of like overhead. So it's 4.7 gigabits. Um, but I'm I'm happy with 4.7. It's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. Um, and Apple was happy to deliver Xcode to me at 470 megabytes per second, which is that's awesome. absolutely insane. Uh, thankfully I have a Mac studio that's capable of decompressing it in a sane amount of time too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as that's the, the bigger joke at that point, um, is how, how long that takes to, to decompress. But, um, yeah, overall I am super, super satisfied, uh, with, with five gigabit ethernet, uh, 5g, it turns out was our savior all along. Um, I'm sorry for doubting you 5g um it's not the not the same one not the same one uh it's kind of crazy that i have faster home internet than what people are calling 5g like the the uc the micro millimeter wave stuff that people were getting three gigabit to like their phone out in space 
Um, at least download. The upload was always sadder. Um, but that's peasant level uh, <laughs> speed now for Dimitri. He finally has the baller network complete, <laughs> the, man. The the baller internet for the baller network. Um, so yeah, I, if you, I invite everyone to go ahead and check if AT T Fiber is available in your area. Um, the hands down, very happy with this. Uh, has not dropped since, uh, which could, I cannot say the same for Spectrum. Uh, it has yeah. dropped since, uh, and I know that because I have both lines connected to the Unify switch. Um, I, I guess I I wanted the safeguard of a guarantee. Uh, the phone call to Spectrum was very sad uh, to cancel. They're like, were they oh. so like? Were they just so reluctant to cancel it? Oh, they were very reluctant. They're like, we want to make sure you know all the facts, and I'm like. I'm sorry, lady. Like, there's no competing. It's five gigabit fiber. You fiber. do not offer that. Even one gigabit fiber was cheaper than what I'm paying. And they're like, oh, we can give you that promotional rate back. And I'm like, I appreciate that, but I don't appreciate that because you don't nickel want and copper me anymore for, for three years. Um, yeah. But yeah, it turns out yeah. that like that was a relatively painless call. Um, as long as you're willing to say no, 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 no to everything. Um, and it, I guess it feels bad. I, I felt a little bad because the person on the other line of that, on the other side of that call, like their job is to try to upsell me. Right. But there's literally sure. nothing they could do. They're like, Oh, but you can get bundled TV cable. I'm like, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> Never again. You could get a free phone line. Yeah, yeah. Free phone line. I'm like, I have a free phone line technically because I'm still on my parents' line. <laughs> And I don't, I don't directly pay for that either. So there's nothing you could do uh, to yeah. convince me otherwise. And I do pay my parents back for the my phone line before anyone asks. Uh-huh. But Spectrum mm-hmm. didn't need to know that. Um, and <laughs> yeah, it, it just I, I felt bad because there's there's literally nothing they could grasp on. Um, wow. So it, it's your your magnitudes uh, <laughs> ahead at that point, like almost literally. Mm-hmm. So. My favorite part in all this is at 10 a.m., Dimitri starts post like slacking photos of him preparing and stuff and begins to give us a play by play like almost every hour of the progress up to like three o'clock. So it was like a hilariously like he's just like the anticipation is he's like so close I can taste it when it gets into a box and everything. It's so funny. <laughs> so the the play by play was very welcome uh and the payoff was a uh, you know a speed test screenshot of him getting 4664 download and 4393 uploads so that's uh pretty insane so and ironically enough, thank you ironically enough on that screenshot it still shows that spectrum internet because mm-hmm. i didn't relaunch the speed test app uh after like having the network <laughs> yeah. switch over it was just that's what it was so it's it thinks i'm on spectrum um, so I felt a little bad. Um, but yeah, I guess I wanted to end this on this very thin little cable has an even thinner, like needle sized yeah. piece of glass in it. And that needle sized piece of glass, it doesn't really break no That's matter like how much you, you like really bend it. You have to make a loop like this and then pull to snap yeah. that piece of glass on there. And even it's if it crazy. snaps, it's not going to ruin the signal significantly because it's still like right there. So there's a lot of that going on. But if you do strip this and then get that one rod of glass and then strip that, that is something that's like dangerous. 
which I didn't even think about. Like, it's something that you can get in your fingers, and it's like having a, a cut of glass. Or, like, if you if you ever broke a glass like a and, and you have it oh. embed in your foot, like, it will stay there for your life, you know? I don't know if anyone's unfortunate enough to have felt that, um, but it sucks. Uh, and this has that potential, which is why I, I, like, took a picture of it, and then I immediately snapped that off and put it in the trash. Because I don't want that laying around. The cats are going to eat it or whatever. Yeah. Um, they already ate through one fiber cable. Um, so, yeah, that's a separate thing. Um but yeah, it's it's totally amazing that this is something that's available. I am very much looking forward to moving all my little tiny projects from a very old 2012 Mac Mini uh, that's sitting uh, out in Las Vegas uh, over to my little home lab, which is that's awesome. Uh, I would say relatively just as reliable i mean the mac mini itself is not super reliable so it doesn't matter what kind of infrastructure is supporting it over there um over here i guess i have good internet now that has battery backups on all the network switches and the the system will have a battery backup so it's like eh, should be good enough yeah um and yeah i'm looking forward to like having fun resetting all that up and enjoying enjoying my fast internet because like i don't know about everyone else but when the world was getting dsl when the world was getting cable um over in the in the hollywood hills where my parents live we were stuck with dial-up for the longest time i i was i was still using dial-up till the age of 16 uh using good old LimeWire to illegally download <laughs> anime with subtitles uh that was not available here uh that like really changed the course of my life uh in in no significant in no insignificant way um in terms of like what I got interested in um uh, as a yeah. person um and I have since uh, like turned a new leaf re- with regard to anime I I do buy all the all the merchandise yeah. now so I I like to make myself feel a little bit better about that uh even though I was doing bad things um but <laughs> I, I still remember the dial-up. I still remember downloading uh, iCal, or Calendar as it's now called, over two days for like 40 megabytes or 20 oh. megabytes or whatever it was. Downloading Safari, I gave up and we did it at the Apple Store because it was faster. <laughs> um, <laughs> like this was in Mac OS 10 bo- 10.2 days. Um, yeah. So like I remember all of that distinctly. Uh, so to jump from less than 56k uh, kilobits per second to five just under five gigabits um that is something that i like truly feel uh and i am it's it like marks a marks a milestone in my life in a way uh in terms of my overall interest and career i would say yeah no i i agree i think that's awesome i just looked and it's not available where I live and that's fine. Um, you know, I still have gigabit fiber and that's great. And I, I'm sort of glad because I, I want like at least 10 gigabit equipment to come down in price before I splurge. Cause I'd like just bought Unify stuff and you know, I'm, I'm fine with gigabit. Yeah. But hopefully when it gets to the point where there's like five or 10 gigabit near me that, that equipment will also be cheap because, I mean, the Unify stuff, I don't think I spent more than 
Oh, no. Well, I did buy. Uh, I spent easily under $1,000, maybe like $800 on all of my stuff. And I know I'm sure you spent way more than that. So, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm just like, oh, I think I'll wait if I'm okay with, with Gigabit Fiber until the price of the equipment also comes down. I mean, I would definitely pay more for the internet service alone. But, you know, I don't want to fork out thousands of dollars for all the equipment and replace my switches. And, yeah, so... Yeah, it, I, it's a whole infrastructure change, and that's that's a lot. So. Mm-hmm. And and like the like the tech said, it's like unless you have something set up to take advantage of more than a single gigabit, you're yeah. not going to see any benefits. Exactly, like your Wi-Fi won't even Wi-Fi six E barely tips over one gigabit when it does. Um, and I I have been able to on two devices that I own uh, get more than a gigabit. Through a speed test out to the open internet, which is amazing. Um, That's awesome. But for for like the internal network of my home, having yeah. more than a gigabit has been super useful. Um, so if if you can start to kind of experiment with different types of switches, uh, then I would say do it. Like get a Mac Mini, get an old Mac Mini, have it connected to a RAID where you can go ahead and serve up a time machine backup. For all your Macs. Yeah. And all your Macs will just go ahead and back up to that one uh, machine. I, and that is like so convenient. Uh, and yeah. when you can make it fast, then it's even more convenient, right? Yeah, I've got my my server. It, it actually, it you know, it's, it's running Linux, but it supports Time Machine backups, which is awesome. So I've got all my stuff running on that. But, you know, uh, I had some issues with it. So I deleted my MacBook Air's time machine backup and started it fresh and that was like 400 gigs and you know it sat there for a couple days still trying to back everything up on a wireless gigabit connection so uh yeah there's you know there's definitely advantages to like preparing the network pre-actual you know five or ten gigabit internet but it's expensive so i'll wait Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's definitely coming down in price more and more lately um, yeah. But it's still expensive. I'm, I will be the first to admit that I spent <laughs> way too much money on what amounts to a hobby, um, yeah. like purely of interest. That said, this hobby is quickly materializing into something that I can take advantage of for yes. my own business. Um, yes, exactly. So I can I can save fifty dollars a month and instead spend way more uh, to get five gigabit, um, but. That is something that, like, I've, I'm now prepared to do, uh, which is really, really cool. And that's the part that I think I'm looking forward to the most. Like, the next time I make an app, I no longer have to dread figuring out how to host a backend thing for it. I literally yep. can just do that because it's available now. Um, You've got throughput for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, talking about throughput, something very interesting that Spencer and I realized is yeah. although I have five gigabit to the internet and to certain servers like the the edge uh, servers that Apple uses to distribute Xcode, obviously, um, that doesn't necessarily mean I have five gigabit to the World Wide Web, uh, like yeah. the entire Earth. Um, namely, uh, Spencer, who is essentially an internet neighbor, like distances uh, wise, uh, he is not far from me from a fiber point of view, like an interconnect. Yeah. But I think your gigabit was limited to 170 megabit uh, per yeah. second uh, over to me. And that was surprising 
Like it wasn't something that we thought would happen uh, when we were testing it. Um, and that's something that you'd need to consider when you are uh, kind of doing this sort of thing. Just because you have five, like five gigabit does not mean that everyone has even a gigabit connecting to you. Um, yeah. But that goes for anyone running a single server, right? Unless you are using a a distributed, um, whatchamacallit? Uh, like Cloudflare. Yeah, unless you're using one of those services uh, to literally host your files around the world, doesn't mean people can connect to you even if they are halfway around the world. It's not only about latency, it's about throughput yeah. as well, um, which yeah. was kind of surprising. Um so just figured I'd share that. Yeah, it was very interesting to get, a, you know, a fifth or I guess l let's even say like a fourth of, you know, the actual sort of realistic speed that you get. Um, like we both did speed tests and mine, you know, I, I don't have it up, but it was like 900 and something mm -hmm. upload and download like it was in the 900s. So, yeah, it was it was quite a bit less than both of us were expecting. Yeah, and one thing to kind of gauge this is if you ever use the speed test app, don't speed test to a local server, speed test to one that's far away. And that's mm -hmm. going to really tell you what you're dealing with because when you're accessing stuff on the internet, you are oftentimes accessing stuff that's close by when you're using Netflix and stuff like that. But if you're not accessing those particular services, chances are the server you're accessing can be quite far away. Like even if yeah. people are using AWS... They're not using AWS worldwide. They're using AWS and at US East or US West, uh, which are particular data centers, which means that you need to connect to that data center. And generally, you probably have a good connection to those data centers because sure. they're the main they're the main ones. But anything other than those data centers, and you may not have like even within that data center, it depends who that provider is using for their internet access. They might not be using the one that's linked up to you so therefore your connection is actually going halfway around the world to like make the full loop um just as a matter of how it's connected so uh that is something to consider um if you are going to run something out of your home uh even though you do have a fast connection uh that is one of the downsides of that i imagine if i had gotten at&t's dedicated internet which costs uh, a mortgage uh, and a half every month that I would have had a direct like connection to one of the main data centers here in Los Angeles. Like that's what I would have been paying for at the end of the you day. Hope so, which means that Spencer once connecting to me will have taken the fast route to get to me rather than, Hey, we're kind of taking a good route, but we're not going to take the most expedient one. Um, so, uh, Long story short, uh, just because that's that's slow does not mean that you aren't benefiting from it. Like if everyone is connecting to you at 100 megabits individually, then that adds up, right? Um, so there are tons of benefits. And most people don't need more than 100 megabits uh, for anything anyways. Like to remind you, Netflix connects 4K video at less than 20. Uh, like most, most, most of the time it's around 8 megabits. Like you really don't Dang, need dude. you don't need fast internet for 4K video um, or anything like all that stuff about oh real time streaming on 5G is a lie uh, for the most part. Um, so you you just need a little bit for most things, but having a stable connection I think is worth 
tremendously more than that. And that's what I'm really yeah. happy about. Yeah. As always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on mastodon.social at CodeCompletion to know when new episodes go live. And feel free to toot at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Do we want to talk briefly about how Friday is three and a half days away? Yep. <laughs> and oh, baby. <laughs> it's, it's almost here. Uh, talk about things that have happened in the past 30 days of my life that have all kind of <laughs> amounted. Lots of exciting stuff. So many exciting things. Um, definitely Tears of the Kingdom is not the thing I was waiting for the most. Actually, I think it was the one I was waiting for the longest. Um, it has been sitting in my deliveries app for a hilariously <laughs> long time. And it, it, it was also a joke that we shared often. It's like, oh, which one of these is going to have the most extended uh, time? Is it going to be Tears Breath of the Wild 2 or is it going to yeah. be Metroid 4? Um, which yep. one of these are going are gonna to outlast, uh, outlive us? Um, and it turns out uh, Metroid 4 is, Metroid Prime 4 is going to be the one that is going to continue yeah. sitting in my deliveries for, I think, six years. Um, <laughs> definitely something so ridiculous. Brutal, uh, oh, the the yeah. new the new delivery date is in seven months, uh, which coincides exactly with December 31st. Who'd have thought? Yeah, weird. Um, weird. Um, but yeah, Tears of the Kingdom, right around the corner. Heck yeah, dude. And uh, it leaked and everything, and I've been avoiding uh, anything, like any content related to it, like the plague. So I'm still going into a blind, which I'm excited about. Um, yeah, uh, we're almost there. We, we've done it. Yeah. Uh, the, the way it leaked was kind of interesting. There's a site called Mercari, which I didn't hear, but I didn't oh, yeah. know about up until now. It's kind of like an eBay um and apparently some physical copies got sold through there uh a little bit early they probably got delivered to a gamestop and then uh some employee at that gamestop was like i'm gonna sell these um and and sold them uh some of the people that bought it probably one individual i imagine most don't have the facilities for this uh but one of the individuals that bought it immediately went and ripped the rom off of it um which is something that then got uploaded to the internet uh, and then either got played on OG switches that have been jailbroken or uh, got played on emulators uh, and then massively got streamed all over uh, YouTube and uh, Twitch. And uh, the impatience that was in me clicked on one of them for five seconds i saw five seconds of the opening okay uh thing and i was like no i can't i can't do this (laughs) i like saw too much because i like i i know what the opening sequence is now because i like i spoiled myself so um that is too bad that is something that i i don't necessarily regret but i i was like that is where i'm stopping 
uh, because uh, like immediately you can you can connect so many dots based on like what oh, you saw man. in the trailers and all that. Uh, so I, I like pause there, um, and I have instead used my superpowers of knowing that the fact that it leaked and what got leaked uh, to selectively pick the funniest things that got leaked and share those with Spencer. Um, <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, well, one of them things was that don't the, matter. <laughs> things that don't matter at all. Like the fact that you can build things. We all know you can build things. Uh, here's something that someone built. It is not age appropriate for anyone. Uh, <laughs> but it got shared on the internet, and therefore I'm sharing it with Spencer. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's about the only thing that I have uh, spoiled my friends on, uh, just because it was funny. Um, yeah. But, yeah, <laughs> uh, I would say don't play Tears of the Kingdom until it comes out, because... It turns out there were patches for it that, that like, oh. were still not ready because, it, like, people work on the games until the very last minute because yeah. why why have a release date if you're not going to do that, right? Um, so they, they had patches that improved stuff. Like, people might complain, hey, the game's slow, and then, oh, the patch fixes. Like, I don't know if that yeah. actually happened or... Uh, if anyone is substantiating there's, that, but yeah, yeah, there's always like release day patches for games, so I'm not surprised about that. It's very common. Um, yeah. but yeah, three and a half days away. Uh, I think yeah. Treehouse, uh, which is Nintendo's like the marketing Nintendo yeah. uh, of America marketing division, uh, they are gonna do a stream that starts at 6 p.m. Pacific on Thursday. Uh, and they're basically going to stream until the release at midnight. Um, cool. Which means that it already released in Australia at that point, which is why yeah. they're probably starting at the 6 p.m. thing. Um, so that is something that if you do want to get spoiled in a controlled way where Nintendo's not going to like immediately tell you everything Say, about the game, but let yeah. you get a, a peek while you're waiting for it to get delivered, uh, that is something you can do. Um, I heard other people speculate that, hey, since most of their major games are getting leaked now, something likely that's going to happen is really like the physical release just ships later, right? The the digital release comes first and then, I can see that. Yeah. And then physical comes later. And I'm very saddened by that because I have a nearly 100% like physical collection of such games that I have not played. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> yeah. So uh, that is just something that like saddens me a little bit uh but it makes sense from their point of view that's an easy way to fix the problem of the game leaking early at the very least when it does leak everyone already has it and it's not like ruining people's experiences um Mm -hmm. so yeah 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 i saw that it's i don't know if it's true it was on reddit uh but someone said that like they they had a photo of the the game box and everything and they said that amazon accidentally shipped to them early so that's also possible. Amazon has done that. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, well, at, you know, Dimitri at least said, they're not ripping it, right? That that's the part that yeah. like is gonna get people in big trouble. Is don't rip. Oh yeah. A game before it releases, like, and yeah. then stream I, it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I just saw that um, Nintendo issued a takedown for a, a Switch, you know, jailbreaking tool from GitHub. Mm-hmm. Like they DMCA'd GitHub, so oh, yeah. I don't know. It's so vindictive. I I don't know if that's gonna work because the last time that happened, remember YouTube download, uh, got hit by the the music 
like industry. Yeah. That said, the music industry is a lot smaller than the gaming industry, which people don't seem to realize. Uh, so yeah. maybe it's not going to go that same way. Uh, They'll but... just host it somewhere else. I don't really think it matters. I mean, Nintendo just kind of Nintendo and just be vindictive because they can and they suck. But that's what sucks, man. They're getting my money anyway. And I hate that. But it's like, it's not going to, you know, they have my childhood in an iron grip, man. So, yeah. <laughs> and they know it. I know. So, Dimitri said, we'll see you all next week. I don't know about that. <laughs> we both have work off. I took a week off just to play this game. So, we'll see. I'm just kidding. I took I, I took a child just to be able to play this game. No, I'm just kidding. Planned it exactly, perfectly. He knew. The, the irony is is once I knew of the Breath of the Tears of the Kingdom release date, I immediately put in like a two week vacation. But yep. then, like maybe a week later, uh, we got confirmation that like we're gonna have a kid, and that's when they're gonna be born. Nice. So I was like, <laughs> well, that planned out fine. <laughs> yep. So uh yeah that's it's it's definitely gonna be a year to remember 2023 (laughs) um lots of lots of big milestones uh some significantly bigger than others like tears of the kingdom is definitely number one i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh man no i i'm definitely like number one in my heart is the child that I am going to spend the the rest of my life uh, teaching yeah. and and sharing everything I know with. Like that is absolutely number one in my heart. In case there was any doubt uh, to anyone <laughs> listening, um, but like distant, distant, distant number two. Uh, I cannot decide if it's Tears of the Kingdom or Fiber Internet. It's definitely yeah. one of those two. Both, um, yeah, hate, both of those like hit you in the childhood, man so much like it's it's just a vivid a vivid memory right in in either case whether it was like watching someone else be ocarina of time for me because i was too dumb to play it <laughs> yeah um, yep mm-hmm. or or like being painfully aware of how slow internet is um and at one point i like paid for business internet thinking it would be fast oh it was oh. it was not good um it was not good at all. I paid for a yeah. business cable. Um, that was that was a less a hard lesson to learn because it came with a two year <laughs> contract that I had to pay oh. for. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that was that was a tough lesson, but it's a lesson learned, right? Um, Indeed. Now I can get static IPs without the public. That's awesome. Anyways, bye everyone. Bye.